Hey everybody, how's it going? Thanks for joining me this afternoon. I've got a great stream that I think you're really going to enjoy. Going to be doing this one solo. A ridiculous article came out here a few days ago from the New York Times. It's a review of the new Little Mermaid movie. Now, I'm sure a lot of you guys are familiar with the fact that Disney has been remaking a lot of its classic properties. We're really at the end of that civilizational cycle. We're really at the end of that cultural uh, death knell. People don't know how to come up with these things anymore. I mean, the funny thing about Disney movies is that they were generally drawn from these properties that were kind of common culture, right? Things that didn't have a copyright on them, didn't have intellectual property on them. They were drawn from kind of the folk stories of the classic American background and many who came to America. Things like Robin Hood, things like The Little Mermaid. All of this stuff was kind of in the public domain. And so they really had almost an endless amount of movies they could kind of make out of this stuff, or at least it seemed like that way for a long time. But now, of course, all this creativity is gone. They can't even find kind of these common shared folk stories anymore, or as we'll kind of talk about as we get into this, those stories are now considered an embarrassment uh, to the company, to the audience that they're supposed to be serving. And so we have to uh, we have to change those. We have to alter those. We have to completely subvert those stories in order to present them to kind of the current Disney audience. But the point being is they're going back through all of this old material and they're just doing lazy remakes of this stuff saying, OK, well, it was animated. Uh, we'll do all the same songs. We'll hit all the same story beats. We'll pad it out for an extra half an hour to 45 minutes because modern movies have to be longer in order to justify their exorbitant ticket prices even though they're obviously like just worse for being an extra hour long and we'll just kind of repackage this stuff sell it to kids again and make money but as they've been doing this they've obviously been changing those movies they've been updating them they've been making them more woke they've been inserting diversity into them they've been in inserting lgbtq politics into them all this kind of stuff and they've had some pretty mixed receptions at the beginning of this remake stuff some of them did pretty well but it's kind of clear that even this remake train is starting kind of to kind of wear off for Disney and its studios. But today we're specifically talking about the Little Mermaid remake for a couple reasons. And the big one here is, of course, this uh, review. Our main focus here is not going to just be on the movie itself, but on the attitude of the reviewer. Uh, the, the headline, the one that got you in here, the one that everyone was kind of blown away with, is the fact that the that the reviewer lamented the lack of kink in the little mermaid and yeah I'm, I'm not joking about that that they were uh limiting the fact that there was no kink in this children's movie now as we go through this review you're going to see that i think that's died deeper tied deeper into a lot of intersectionality that that focus only appears in the uh article for a moment but it's tied deeper into the expectations that this reviewer ha has as somebody who expects this project to be woke uh to be revisionist to be uh, subversive, and we'll kind of dive into all that here in a second. But before we do, guys, let's go ahead and hear from today's sponsor. Are you a college student who feels isolated as Cthulhu swims ever leftward? The Intercollegiate Studies Institute is here to help. ISI offers programs and opportunities for conservative students across the country. ISI understands that conservatives and right-of-center students feel isolated on campus and that you're often fighting for your own reputation, dignity, and future. Through ISI, you can learn about what Russell Kirk called permanent things, the philosophical and political teachings that shaped and made Western civilization great. 
ISI also offers many opportunities to jumpstart your career. For example, Nate Hawkman, who's been a guest on this show multiple times, got his start at National Review through ISI, and he's just one of many journalists that ISI has helped start their career. If you're a graduate student, ISI offers funding opportunities to sponsor the next generation of college professors. But most importantly, ISI offers college students a community of people that will help them grow. If you're a college student, ISI can help you start a student organization or a student newspaper or meet other like-minded students at various conferences and events. ISI is here to educate the next generation of great Americans. To learn more, check out ISI.org. That's ISI.org. You can click the link down in the description to learn more. All right, guys. So we're going to go ahead and jump into this article. Now, we will jump around a little bit because some of it is him just explaining the movie beats. Some of it is uh, him just kind of giving general opinions about the quality of the cinematography or something. And if you're really interested in his actual full kind of review of the movie, I guess you can go check that out. It's at the New York Times. I'm going to be focusing on kind of the woke language. The main purpose of this stream is to kind of break down uh, why he's framed this this way, why he felt the need to insert these ideas in here, and overall why he thinks this movie exists. Because it's very clear uh, that he believes this is a political movie, that he expects this to be a political movie, that he knows Disney wants this to be a political movie. And that's why he expects many things in here, including kink. So let's go ahead and look at why those things are tied together. Uh, so the title here, you know, uh, the Disney's little uh, mermaid review, the renovations are only skin deep. Uh, Disney's live action remake with, I guess, Hall Bailey is the right way to say that. I'm not familiar with this actress. Apparently she is a singer as well. Probably makes sense. It's a musical uh, you know, Little Mermaid is highly known for its songs. I don't know about you guys, but uh, I'm old enough to have been around when this movie came out. Uh, this I had a little sister, uh, and so she watched this movie kind of nonstop whenever she had the option. Uh, whenever the, you know the, she was given any control over the TV uh, or the you know the movies we were watching, whenever it was this. Uh, so unfortunately, as as with many Big Brothers uh, at this time, I am very familiar uh, with a Little Mermaid, whether I wanted to be or not. Uh, but this is something that uh, obviously has a lot of singing involved. So I guess that's probably why uh, this uh, actress was selected. Uh, but she stars as Ariel in a diverse cast. It's a dutifully corrective with the noble intentions and little fun. So right off the bat, we can see he's not. Uh, oh, and the guy here is Wesley Morris. We should we should note that the reviewer's name here is Wesley Morris. So right off the bat, it's clear that Wesley is not a fan of this movie, which is interesting. I checked out the Rotten Tomatoes for this movie. It currently has a 68% from other critics and I think like a 95% with audiences, though I don't know how many audiences have actually seen the movie at this point. So I don't that might be artificial. I don't think it's released yet. But uh, but it's very clear uh, that, uh, you know, he is more disappointed than most uh, of the uh, people who review this. I think it'll be obvious why he thinks it didn't go far enough. You can tell right from the beginning, he says, this needs to be dutifully corrective. So the purpose of the movie, movie right out of the gate is to correct something. Correct what? Well, I think it's pretty obvious that they swapped out the white character for a black character. And there's a lot of controversy from this, right? Ariel is kind of an iconic Disney character. She's known for pale white skin and red hair. Uh, th those are traits that are pretty tightly uh, tied to the identity of the character. 
Uh, and so when this uh, kind of swap came in, a lot of people were shocked. A lot of people, uh, and, and of course, this is the whole point, right? Is to set up this dialectic. Uh, the, you know, the, these movies are now made specifically with the controversy in mind. They know what they're doing. They know that they're going to rile up a segment of the population. And not only do they know that, they're counting on it, right? They want that to be part of the marketing. They want it to be part of the conversation. They want it to set the frame around the movie. And here's the here's the nice bonus thing is it also gets to become the blame if the movie fails. Now, I don't know if this movie is going to fail. Actually, the movie did. I, I remember now the movie has come out and it, it did relatively well, I guess, at the opening box office here. But the idea here is that if the movie did fail, then you'd be able to blame it on the hate, the backlash. We see this with a lot of movies now. We saw this with the all-females ghost, Ghostbusters. It doesn't really matter what the quality of the movie is. If it's good and it's, you know it does well and the movie is successful, then great. You don't have to worry about it. You can say, oh, the haters, you know, take that. We made money. But if a movie does poorly because the movie is of bad quality, well, then you can always blame the haters. You can say, oh, well, no, it wasn't that the movie was bad. It wasn't that there was no market for this. It wasn't that it was, uh, you know, we shoehorned in all these politics and no one wanted to see it. It's it's the haters. It's it's the hate out there that did this. It's the internet trolls. They're the ones who did this. And uh, so they they create the movies like this on purpose. They're starting the conversation this way before you even get into the actual movie, making sure that, you know, there, there's a built-in excuse for if the, the movie fails, well, at least we did something politically you know, worthwhile. We took the moral stand. Uh, and so that, that's something that they can kind of use to kind of frame their failures uh, if they happen. Though it looks like this one might not be. It's hard to tell, though. These movies are so expensive. And uh, they, especially the advertising budgets aren't even recorded usually in the making of the movies. And so they really have to do huge box office numbers in order to uh, to make their money back. Uh, so the new live action Little Mermaid is everything nobody wanted in a movie. It's dutiful and defensive, yet desperate for approval. It reeks of obligation and noble intentions. Joy, fun, mystery, risk, flavor, kink, they're missing. So this is this is kind of the famous line. This is the, the thing that got everybody. Uh, why, why are you asking for kink in a children's movie? Right? And it's perfectly reasonable for you to be outraged about that. Why, why would any reviewer bring that up? Kink, kink isn't really a word that has a lot of different meanings in this context. It's not like he can really pretend that he was asking for something else. Why would you need that in this movie? Right now, you're going to understand why I think by the end of this, but I'll give you a hint at the beginning. This is about intersectional intersectionality. Okay, he doesn't bring King up again anywhere in this review. He doesn't even bring up sexuality anywhere else, really, in this review. This is the only time it comes up. But I think that because these ideas are now crossed over, they're so intersectional that this is just in the lexicon and it just gets rattled off as you're writing this kind of stuff, right? Well, of course it needs to be diverse. Of course it needs to have, you know, gender theory shoved down everybody's throat. Of course it needs to have kink in it. And even if you like never mention this idea again, these ideas are all connected in a constellation of wokeness. And so if you're talking about one aspect of wokeness, you have to be talking about another aspect of it. And we see this all the time, right? This is done on purpose. That this is why this is so useful for the left rhetorically, because anytime you attack one part of the ideology, they tie it to all the other things that are intersectional with it. 
So if you say, I don't think I want you to push, you know, gender transition on five-year-olds, then it's, well, then why are you attacking all gay people? Why are you attacking uh, the black community? <laughs> what does that have to do with it? Are you saying that those things are tied together? That, that's the key thing is that as long as they can immediately throw a charge of racism or homophobia or whatever at you, then they can completely derail whatever you are uh, speaking against. And so as long as those things are sacred and you can tie all these other things to those sacred objects that can't be questioned, then that means there's a whole, again, constellation of things that are basically unassailable. And so they tie kink to this kind of stuff. They tr tie transgenderism to this stuff. Why? Because that makes it unquestionable. You, you, can't, you can't look at it. You're not allowed to, uh, to criticize it. So this is the only time that the reviewer is going to mention kink in here. But I do think it's really interesting that it comes in. It's 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 not just a Freudian slip. I mean, you know, tap the sign, right? You know, like like why would he put this in here? Well, you know, don't make me tap the sign. But on top of that, uh, you know, on top of why would he think that kink belongs in a children's movie, an explicitly uh, a movie explicitly made for children, uh, which you know Disney they probably want to make it explicit as well at this point. I don't think their agenda is hidden at all. In fact, we know it isn't. They've Chris Rufo, you know, aired the tapes. They've, they've made very clear what their intentions are. But the fact that this gets slipped in here, again, is just indicative of the way the left ties all this stuff to, together. And they do it specifically because, again, just like, you know, applying all these labels to their movie, it makes it unassailable. It makes it so that you can't actually criticize what's going on here. But we're going to see that he doesn't spend the majority of his time on kink, luckily, I guess, but he spends it on. Uh, racial identity and the importance of uh, inserting that into the movie. So we'll read that more here in a second. Movie is saying, we tried, tried not to offend, appall, or challenge, or imagine. So again, this is a children's movie, right? But the purpose of it is to offend, appall, and challenge. Okay, so I get it. Art is supposed to be those things. But this is not art for adults. This is not a dart. Uh, this is not supposed to be art that moves the needle. This is barely even art at all. This is children's entertainment, or at least it's supposed to be. But of course, we know with Disney, that's not necessarily the case anymore, right? Their target audience isn't really kids. Their target audience is adults who never grew up. Their target audience is uh, is parents. Uh, and then their target audience, uh, and or and the, those are their target audiences, and the kids are just going to be along for the ride. The kids are already there, and so they're just going to kind of absorb that the fact that this is entertaining, and that is often the purpose of this stuff. So yeah, the you know why would we put offensive, appalling, and challenging material in a children's movie? Oh, because it's not for kids, and the kids will get it. All that'll get forced onto them, and that's what he wants. That's what he's asking for. Why aren't my? Why isn't this offensive, appalling, challenging material being uh, marketed to kids? That's what he's hoping for. But that's, uh, but that's whatever any sane person is like. Why would I want this in a kids movie? Uh, so a crab croons, a gull rasps, the sea witch spells, uh, swells to stay puff proportions. Speaking of Ghostbusters, there, this is not supposed to be a serious event. Well, yeah, kind of. That, that's the point. It's not supposed to be a serious event. It's a children's movie. You know, the Mario movie came out. I haven't seen that one yet, but I've heard good things. Um, the, the amazing thing for most people was actually, I think, not that it was even particularly good, but that it just wasn't stuffed full of wokeness. You didn't have gender swapped Mario. You didn't have race swapped Mario. You didn't have. Uh, you know, uh, Mario's trans friend explaining why he needs to understand pronouns. It's just a movie that kids can enjoy. 
it doesn't even have to be good anymore. People are so tired of wokeness that they'll take a mildly entertaining, vapid movie that just doesn't shove this stuff down their throats. We should be able to ask for more. But again, it's a kid's movie. So what do you want, right? It's not supposed to be a serious event. So it's okay for like kids to just watch Mario jump around or watch the Little Mermaid swim about wanting to meet a prince. You don't actually have to turn everything into a political diatribe. Uh, but if it feel, uh, but it feels made in anticipation of being taken too seriously. Now you can't even laugh at it. So yeah, that's that's a point. And he'll make this a couple times, and he's right about this at least. But he supports this. That's the thing is he'll, he'll make this point multiple times that the movie is you know very clearly designed with politics in mind. It's designed to be edgy. It's it's again that they frame it this way from the beginning. But because it is that, it can't be too serious, it, or, or rather, it can't be too goofy. It can't take itself uh, lightly. It has to be very serious. And so it can't be a kid's movie. It can't be a light escapist thing, because from the very beginning, it has to be woke. And that destroys it. It destroys its very nature. You can't make fun children's products this way. You can't make fun uh, children's entertainment this way. From the very beginning, it's as serious and sober as a Sunday morning sermon, except, of course, the religion it's delivering is not Christianity. It's nothing that would be uplifting and wholesome that would help the child understand things about the world, learn about who they should be, learn how they should treat other people, learn how they should have a relationship with God. It's none of those things. It's simply, you know, how to be a good progressive soldier. This, this is just progressive soldier indoctrination. And so because of that, uh, not only is it is it's too serious to be fun, it can't even deliver the kind of uh, wholesome things, the kind of positive things that at least something that would be serious for a good topic would actually deliver. Uh, the hand, the story comes from the Hans Christian Andersen uh, uh, tale. Obviously, like I said, so many of these movies were built in after these folk tales or these these fairy stories. And when Disney made a cartoon musical of it in 1989, the tale's tragedy and existential wonder got swapped for the Disney Princess Syndrome, wherein one subjugation is replaced with another, or even exchange, or, or even exchange uh, redrawn as liberating love. So yeah, obviously, if you're familiar with the Hans Christian Andersen tale, uh, the Little Mermaid doesn't like get married to the prince and live happy ever after. Instead. Uh, walking on those feet that she ends up getting are like shards of glass. If I remember, it's been a long time since I've listened to the original Little Mermaid. Uh, but if I remember correctly, the, it's like she's walking on shards of glass the whole time. So the trade-off is real. She she defies her father. She leaves her uh, her home. She leaves her people uh, for uh, another group. She ends up getting destroyed. Uh, you know, she feels this pain constantly walking on this glass. And then when she ends up uh, going through all this, uh, she ends up dying uh, and she, you know, uh, she dies at the end. And so it's, it's not a Disney story at all. It's a cautionary tale. Uh, but, uh, you know, the Disney completely reworked it. Um, so he, he is right that this, you know, the very core of that story has been reworked uh, to make it kind of just uh, complete, complete children's fluff. You know, like we said that, you know, these sto stories used to come with some kind of moral to them. They used to come with some kind of instruction with them. Uh, Disney kind of hollowed that out and just made it very generic, but obviously it was at least very entertaining. Again, you know, my, my little sister singing those songs endlessly, uh, you know, as a child, it's very catchy. Um, and it's something that, uh, that, that did stick with children. So at least did that job that it was supposed to do, even if 
that in and of itself is kind of a hollowing out of maybe the original intention of the story, the original value of the story. Uh, then it just kind of gives you some background on the story. You guys have probably seen the little mermaid at this point of, you know, spoilers on a 30 year old movie. If you're not familiar uh, with some of that, um, he, he kind of complains about the fact that it's supposed to be live action, but it's almost all CGI. Uh, he, he hits on the pack fact that originally she kind of had this red hair, um, but obviously, you know, can't have it here. Um, but uh, that visualization isn't there. Uh, and he kind of talks again about the quality of the acting. Uh, he says, and it makes, a, again, good point. You know, he's a, he's a movie critic. So obviously he has some, some familiarity uh, with uh, what makes this work. He kind of makes the point that in the original, the fact that Ariel is kind of quiet for half the movie, right? She loses her voice. That's a whole plot point of the movie. And so the expressiveness of the animation kind of takes over uh for uh for the actress her personality can't be um can't be conveyed uh through the the speaking though again he he you know talks about the voiceless woman and uh how politically incorrect that is now but uh but anyway he he, he does make the good point that the expressiveness of the disney animation you know the eyes the face the, the way that the illustrators were able to kind of bring that forward does a lot of the work for the voiceless Ariel, but in real life, it's very hard for even a seasoned actor to do having to be entirely silent for a huge chunk of the movie. And obviously this actress being a singer and not having that kind of level of talent means that uh, she's not able to kind of replicate that effect. And so we're already looking at a, a kind of a situation where just transferring it from one medium to another, uh, you know, uh, has an effect on the movie. So credit where it's due to, to Wesley there. Uh, I think that's probably a, a good point, though. Again, I haven't seen the movie yet, so I, you know, no, no judgment because I don't know. But I don't really intend to see it. But uh, the point being, you know, the, probably a valid point there. Uh, but here we get back into kind of the social politics. Here, this is kind of where we want to jump back in. Uh, what we were talking about today. Um, so uh, Bailey is black with long copper hair that twists, waves, and locks. Racially, the whole movie's been what opened up, diversified. Now Ariel's rueful uh, daddy, King Triton, is played by uh, stolid Javier Bardem, who does all of the King's lamenting in Spanish-inflected English. Instead of the, broad, the Broadway uh, Corins of the original, uh, her mermaid siblings are a multi-ethnic, runway-ready general assembly. So already here we can kind of see that, uh, we can already see that he he's noting that this is a little disassociative, right? Like this, this is so, so he sees this as a good thing, I guess that, that, that they've changed this, that now uh, Ariel sisters are a multi-ethnic pack of, of, of different uh, women and that the, the father is Spanish and she is black. And, and I guess this, this is supposed to be an, an advancement. Uh, he'll kind of praise it later on. But of course, this is just the kind of thing that takes people out of this stuff. Look, it, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense for a guy to have, you know, uh, I guess unless you're maybe Genghis Khan uh, working your way across Asia, it doesn't make for, uh, sense for this guy to have that many different uh, races among his daughters. And when you like artificially insert all these different races in there, it just breaks it. Now I get it. Like, right. They're under the sea. She's got the, she's got a fin for feet, right? This is where your uh, reality breaks down. Well, no, but this is the point, uh, you know, that this is always brought up. Like 
the reason that fantasy works, the reason that fantasy means something is that it has some tropes that are different. It is set in a world that is different, but that certain parts of human nature, certain parts of human organization stay the same. And because those things are universal, we can then relate to mermaids under the sea, right? Like you don't have anything in common with someone who breathes water and lives in a sea kingdom, but because you're human and you have certain experiences and there's certain continuity to the human experience, you can still understand the things they're going through, the things they're struggling with. You can still understand what's happening, whether it's here or in the Lord of the Rings or in space. Like I've never been in any of those scenarios, but because I'm a person and I'm part of a family and I'm part of a community and I'm part of a religion and all these things, I can then relate to people who are also part of those things, even if they're doing them under the sea or in a space station or in a, you know, a mythical realm where you have to fight orcs, right? Like that ability to understand those things is based on kind of certain aspects of human nature that continue in all these situations. And one of those is just family and the fact that families generally kind of look the same. That's what makes them a family. You, you know, the old, I can see, oh, I can see the face of your baby. You know, I, I can see, you know, he, he, your baby has your chin and her eyes and it's got your grandpa's, you know, eyebrows. And those are all the things that people like to talk about when they look at people's kids, when they get together and they're celebrating a newborn child, because that's the continuation of the family. And so when you go in here and you like really awkwardly just completely, not only are you, you know, you're, you're race swapping the character, but you're making the entire family just, it doesn't make any sense, right? And it feels really artificial. It feels really fake. It takes everybody out of the story and it starts to make things really un, uh, uh, you're not able to empathize with them. You're not, even though, yes, like they're under the sea or you know, they're in some kind of ridiculous scenario. The fact that so many things are artificial, like even the most basic human interactions, the most basic human organization becomes deeply artificial, obviously becomes a, a real issue. Now, you can see here, uh, there's, there's a little highlight box. And of course, right away, the first thing that they throw in here is about the racial backlash right in here, uh, the, the racist backlash uh, with big expectations. So again, you can see that this is they already have the the controversy seeded into the article Ooh, click here to read more about the controversy after you read the review this is framing this is all prepared this is all they they knew these storylines before they even stepped into them they count on these backlashes they count on these controversies uh that that's all framed in don't think for a moment they're just like oh i'll just make this movie oh i can't believe people reacted this way that that's how it was designed the Prince Eric uh, is white, English, and now seems to have a, a more plot than Ariel. Again, that's probably because he's allowed to talk, right? So that that's, a, again, a, probably a good observation from the reviewer at the beginning here. He's allowed to talk, and you no longer have uh, kind of the very expressive, over-the-top animated uh, style to kind of carry those things, which is probably something that Disney should have thought of when they tried to remake these movies, especially since literally they're the company who animated them. You think someone around there would have been like hey since we're the people who are really familiar with the ins and outs of making animated movies that we would realize that that's kind of an essential part of this and that we should really take that into account when we're looking at how she's going to react in these kind of things but of course they didn't because uh it's all about just getting the politics in there it's all about just getting the movie remade uh it's all about making everything live action it doesn't matter how it actually transfers onto film or actually transfers onto the screen uh, the, that's all just kind of secondary because they can't come up with anything new. And so this is this is really all they've got. Uh, 
Moore includes meals with her mother, uh, with his mother, Queen Selena, who is black. So the white English prince has a black mother. Surprise, surprise. Again, all families must be multiracial and make no sense. That's that that's the decree. That's what makes it a progressive movie. Now, again, people can get all, you know, oh, how, why are you care about this? Why are you noticing? Not really, except it was meant to be noticed. Not only is it meant to be noticed, the reviewer who is pro this movie, or at least pro the idea of this movie, he supports all the politics and motivations behind the movie. He doesn't like the result because uh, it's low quality, though, again, he doesn't seem to settle on why he doesn't seem to understand why these things naturally produce a worse movie. Uh, because of all the things he wanted in there are actively making it worse. He has a hard time connecting, you know, those things. But uh, but he is behind all of these things, and he notices them. He says, this is the intention. It's there for a reason. So it's not, you know, but again, this is the framing. It's meant, it, it's meant to be there for people to get offended, and it's meant to be there for uh, people to to react to it. That that's And the the review itself is aware of this from the very beginning. All of this is really tiresome really really uh staged uh from from the outset um and you can you can almost feel the trudge that he's going through to kind of get get into uh the mood of trying to praise some of the stuff even, you know even though he ends up hating the movie uh so so the queen is black the her chief servant is black uh the script credits uh these people um uh, they inform us that the, the queen has adopted the prince because somebody knew inquiring minds would want to know. Yeah, that is a kind of natural thing. Like, okay, uh, I noticed a pattern. Uh, this isn't actually how humans uh, procreate. Uh, they don't end up looking this way. Uh, so where where did this white English prince come from uh, if, if this is his mother? Um, but, you know, that noticing is a problem, I guess. Uh, as a... Uh, that uh, talks about Melissa McCarthy here being excited about being the villain for a while. Uh, that sounds terrible, uh, but anyway. Uh, the anime version was about a girl who wanted to leave uh, showbiz. She and her sisters perform follies basically for King Triton's entertainment. Uh, they talk more about... Uh... Okay, here we go. Um, the dry land was entertainment-wise a lot drier, but that was all right with Ariel. This new flesh and blood version is about a girl who'd like to withdraw her color from the family rainbow and sail off of the uncharted waters with a white prince. So again, the any any white people in the story are a problem, right? It's, it's so they race swapped the the Little Mermaid, but they didn't do it to the prince. Now they race swapped the prince's mother. They made sure that he's part of a multiracial family, but that's insufficient. That's not enough. That that is that is not sufficiently woke. Uh, the, the, it's a problem that she wants to leave her colors of Benetton uh, family, her her, her uh, you know uh, large multiracial family with sisters who look like they're from every uh, nation around the world, and uh, get married to a white prince. That that's a problem. So we're, so again, the fact that like one character in the movie who uh, of significance is white uh, basically is already a problem. So so it did not go far enough. It went. That, that And you'll see this is his uh, conclusion basically throughout the whole thing. It's good that they tried. It's important that they tried to subvert all this stuff. It's important that they tried to swap all this stuff in, but they didn't go far enough. It didn't, it didn't get radical enough. It, there's no kink in the movie, right? And that, that's kind of his continued uh, problem with the movie. Uh, so what really opened up here? For years now, Disney has been atoning for the racism and chauvinism and de facto whiteness of its expanded 
catalog. So once again, we see that whiteness is in and of itself a problem. Um, the country was a majority white when you know he was this movie was made. Uh, it still is, uh, though though that is shifting. But the uh, but the fact that it would be de facto white in makes perfect sense in the same way that if you make a lot of movies in Bollywood, I kind of assume they're de facto Indian, right? They're probably pretty brown uh, because they're made by Indian people for Indian people in the country of India. All the actors around are Indian for the most part, right? So it's not super surprising. I wouldn't be offended to walk into a Bollywood movie and see the cast be mostly Indian. I wouldn't you know, watch Yojimbo. I wouldn't watch a classic uh, samurai movie from Japan and be like, where are the white people? Where are the Africans? Why, why, why aren't there more people from Nova Scotia in my Japanese samurai movie? It's perfectly reasonable for that movie to be pretty much entirely Japanese, right? But of course, the fact that you know there were white characters in Disney movies in and of itself a problem. Now, of course, there are plenty of other ethnicities in Disney movies, but that's unimportant, right? That, that that's they, they weren't the, the they weren't the default, and so they have to atone. Atonement must be done uh, for all the racism and chauvinism and whiteness that was already prevalent in all of these uh, uh, and their back catalog. So Pixar, Pixar, and Marvel movies, despite also being you know being relatively recent movies who are relatively woke and race swap characters all the time they're still insufficiently uh woke there there's there's still too much de facto whiteness even in these more current uh movies in part turning to its nettlesome cartoons into live action corrections again we see this corrections so he's openly acknowledging this is the purpose of these things they are specifically meant to atone for the past they're not entertainment they're, they're not there for a child's amusement. They, they can't even be the vapid ch chewing gum that, uh, you know, the Little Mermaid kind of was after stripping out a lot of the you know, uh, fairy stories of the Hans Christian Andersen and kind of other background of these uh, folk tales that often get turned into Disney movies. That's insufficient. They must actively correct the history of, I guess, white people existing in movies, white characters existing in movies. It's just a drawing, guys. Why are you so offended? I don't understand, right? That that's their whole case, right? It's just a drawing. Like, why why would you get so? Why would you notice this? Why would this be such a big deal to you? But obviously, it is. In fact, it's so big that we have to have to go on a full campaign of correctiveness. We have to rewrite and replace all of this history in order to make things right again. This is important. Important again. He he agrees with all this, right? He doesn't like the movie because the movie's trash, which he'll acknowledge. But he, he won't acknowledge why it's trash because they spent all the time on this stuff instead of, you know, actually making a good movie. But he agrees with all of it. He's on board with this. It's an important project, culturally reparative work from a corporation that lately has more steadily inched uh, humanity away from the bottom line priorities. So that's really interesting. Uh, so he's, he's pointing out here that Disney's wokeness is pulling it away from the bottom line that Disney, Disney's wokeness is ignoring the bottom line. And you'll see right here, he gets into DeSantis in Florida. Consequently, it has found itself at war with a governor of Florida where Disney lives. So basically he's saying that this, um, this movie has to get made uh, and it's made irregardless of earnings 
uh, because they will they, because they really care about the politics. But of course, that's not true at all. We're still pretending that this stuff is rebellious. We're still pretending that this stuff is fighting against the mainstream. We're still pretending that this kind of recasting is uh, salacious in the way that would cause backlash among uh, you know the powerful and the elite. But of course, that's not true at all. The 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 New York Times agrees with this. People in Harvard and Yale, uh, celebrities, they all agree with this. They all talk about this stuff in lockstep. They all love this stuff. There's no subversion of power here. This is acquiescence to power. This is following with power. And largely, this makes people money, right? That's why they do it. Now, we're interestingly seeing that woke backlash is starting to cause some actual market uh, consequences. We're seeing companies like Target. We're seeing companies like Bud Light and maybe to some extent even Disney face consequences for their constant march of wokeness. But the, for the most part, this stuff has happened without any kind of backlash. It's only been profitable. The, the, the go woke, uh, go broke thing has basically been a joke this whole time. It's been cope. Uh, hopefully we're seeing some of that change now. But up until this point, very recently, that was not the case. And so the idea that this movie needs to exist to re to correct these wrongs and push back against the power and it's it's Disney uh, rebelling against the bottom line or prioritizing things beyond the bottom line. I mean, come on, that's that's full of crap. They do this because of the bottom line. They do this because they think it's going to make them more money because they think it's going to make them more acceptability. And they frame these movies specifically in this way to create controversy that will be beneficial to them that frames the movie that if it loses money, well, it turned out it had to because it was fighting all these trolls and these like evil racists or whatever. That's why they create these movies in the first place. So all of this is planned. It's all a cold, cynical, calculated uh, marketing decision at some level, though they are also true believers. So don't let me confuse you in thinking that this is just about the money. But the idea that this is not about the money at all and that this is a rebellion against uh, against the bottom line priorities, that's absolutely absurd. For every Moana or Coco or Enchanto, uh, I think that's how you say it, original, wondrous, exuberant animated musicals about relationships and cultures didn't uh, Disney pre previously notice or treat with care, there's something timid and reactive about this. So he's noticing a pattern here, uh, which is kind of funny. Uh, when Disney specifically sets out to make movies about other cultures with original stories that are set in those cultures, they, they make things that a lot of people find valuable that aren't just entertaining, but have some level of artistic value because they're like actually reflective of the cultures in which they were set. But this is not. This is very clearly a cynical recasting of a story that was told by a culture that is not the one that is now cast in the movie. And it does not reflect that because it is artificial through and through. So he's seeing that he's acknowledging that here in a lot of ways, but he just still, but he still supports it. Even though he's, he's noticing that these movies that are, that, you know, are created on purpose with those cultures in mind are better. And the ones that are subverting already existing characters and race swapping them in and creating artificial, fa you know, uh, families that don't make any sense. I mean, how many, uh, you know, it's been a while since I mean Moana, but what were, was every uh, Hawaiian or I'm Polynesian? I'm trying to remember the exact culture there. The, the Pacific Islander family was every one of them. Did every one of them have 12 different ethnicities in their family? I bet they didn't. Why is that? Hmm. 
makes you wonder, right? And so he's acknowledging that when these movies make sense, when they actually happen inside a cohesive culture and explore that culture, they do a lot better than when you artificially strip a movie that was obviously not created for its now updated progressive diversity quotas of any character in order to make it work. It just does not function. So reading here again what he says, the brown skin and placeable accents don't make the movie more fun, just utopic and therefore less arguable. So yeah, that, that's the whole thing, right? Is like putting these characters in, artificially inserting this diversity doesn't do anything for the quality of the movie. It doesn't make it more fun. doesn't make it more entertaining for children. It simply tries to make it the leftist version of utopia. Now, why is this the leftist utopia? I mean, I'll let you draw your own conclusions, but apparently utopia is diversity. It's getting getting rid of white characters. That's that that's utopic for some reason. And he says that that makes it less arguable. Okay, but why? Why was there a problem with the original Little Mermaid? Why why was that a problem at all that there were white characters in that? I don't understand why that would be an issue. And unless, of course, like your active project is to say that we have to remake everything that used to have white characters in it. Why is that necessary? That seems like a very strange project for you to try to enforce. Why can't you just make these movies that you yourself admit are better? Why don't you just make the Moanas? Why don't you just make these movies that are specifically already put into other cultures and populate them, populate them with the characters that you want? But that's not sufficient, right? It's not utopic unless you can go back and replace characters with a new diverse cast. Now, what you've got is something closer to the colorblind wish fulfillment of Shonda Rhimes' streaming universe minus the wink-wink side-eye and carnality. Interesting that we're again, uh, uh, you know, injecting that here. Now, I don't know. I didn't know who this was. I didn't know who the Shonda Rhimes person was. So I had to look it up. You might not know it either. So apparently she is the show writer. She's done a bunch of stuff. Uh, she did like a Grey's Anatomy and a lot of that stuff that's very popular on TV. But she's also famous for, I think, the Bridgerton series on Netflix, which is also notable for its obsession with replacing all of the classic english white nobility with other races uh throughout so you know in the 1800s uh the, the queen was black the all, all of the nobility was actually indian or something like or at least half of it was uh very kind of out of uh context uh historical context insertions of this so i, I guess that's why he's kind of referencing that here because it's another one of those scenarios where there's just the in, you're, you're telling a story that's inherently about a culture that is historically white uh but it uh but you have to swap in these characters because that's not allowed anymore and i guess he's saying that it's a the similar uh vein of this uh kind of kind of uh movie that's being made here's uh made here um this little mermaid is a byproduct the colorization hasn't led to radicalized racialized adventure okay so you were looking for a radicalized, racialized adventure. Again, in the children's movie. That's what the children's movie has to be in order for it to be of quality. It's not enough that they race swapped all this stuff in. It's not enough that they remade all this stuff kind of in the image you wanted it to. But it need to be radicalized and racialized. That's, the, that's what movies need to be for children to consume them. Um, again, I think the agenda is pretty clear here. It's not, not particularly, uh, uh, you know, coy about, about the desire. 
And this is probably why kink got slipped in there, right? Because radicalized and <laughs> racialized. So we're just putting that intersectionality in, right? Why wouldn't you just list that as another radicalization, uh, even though it has no place in a kid's movie? But then neither does radicalized racialization. But that's exactly what he's demanding. Uh, it's not a black adaptation, an interpretation that imbues white material with black culture until it's something completely new. So again, it's really important to, in his own words, imbue what was white material with black adaptation until it's something entirely different. Okay, that's uh, that's kind of telling, isn't it? It's not uh, The Wiz. It's still a Disney movie, one whose heroine, uh, Psy, happens to be black. There is some audacity in that. And of course, here we go back to the praising. Even though he's noticing that the movie is of low quality, uh, that we, you know, we, there's, it's still heroic, right? And that's the point. Even if the movie fails, even if the movie doesn't do well, even if the movie is of poor quality, as long as we did the heroic thing when by replacing a white protagonist with a black protagonist, why is that heroic? reasons because we we need radical racialization in children's movies as the the uh the reviewer himself states uh but but that's what they're going for uh purists and trolls have complained ah yes so if if you notice the thing that was explicitly done for you to notice it that was the entire purpose of the thing of course you are a troll it was designed for this he admittedly says it right up front right that's the audacity that yeah, that was the purpose but whatever again this is this is the framing it's made for exactly this they don't want the original tamp tampered with even superficially um but it's not even superficially like he specifically says that it's just a worse movie anyway uh they don't want it woke yeah that's it that's all <laughs> the, the, obviously you're explicitly saying that wokeness made this movie worse you're saying that throughout the review but you just agree with it because it's your political agenda. You're admitting throughout the entire piece that the act action of making this movie woke was no good. But because it's inherently good, because it's inherently good because it's the political project, then we'll just ignore any of the flaws of the movie. It still gets credit. It still looks success because it uh, it, it angered the trolls, which was its its purpose in the first place. The blowback the blowback is in part in on Bailey's shoulders. Uh, and her simply being there confers upon her a heroism because it feels like uh, dangerous to have her uh, cast uh, to have. Sorry, because it does still feel dangerous to ca have her cast. Sadly, the haters don't have much to worry about. So, yeah, again, like she's cast here simply because they want to push an agenda. It's acknowledged by him from the beginning. Uh, and he simply says, well, that's fine. You know, that that's that's what we should be doing. Um, and so it's not an issue uh, or it's supposed to be an issue. And that's why we did it in the first place. We, we, we did it to manufacture the issue. Uh, so he goes on and talks a little more about, uh, you know, kind of why uh, the movie's not great. Uh, he complains about, um, uh, oh, uh, there, there's a part here where he complains about the, the theft of black music here. Uh, where is it? Uh, it's really mis misery to notice these things. A nine-year-old uh, wouldn't notice them. Yeah, again, right? Like you're inserting all this stuff that a nine-year-old wouldn't know about, but you're doing it specifically because you need the political agenda in there. And he says that exact thing here in the next sentence. But one reason we have all these remakes is that former nine-year-olds raised on the besotted, uh, raised on and besotted with the original Disney movies grew up and had questions. 
so again like we need to re uh reimagine kind of what nine-year-olds will absorb right we 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 need to set this frame early uh for kids and so it's important that we remake all of these classic movies make sure that no little girl watches you know uh the original little mermaid when she's nine year old nine years old and gets any bad ideas from it instead we have to completely remake all of them we have to recast all of them we have to increase diversity in all of them and we have you know if they, if he can get some kink in there that's what he's really looking for right as he as he made clear so you know he again acknowledging that this movie is for nine-year-olds but that's what he led with because you know why in that sense, The Little Mermaid is more of a moral re, uh, redress than a work of true inspiration. Again, yeah, it, it's just an after-school special about uh, how diversity is more important than entertainment or plot, uh, which isn't to say that there's nothing inspiring about it. Oh, no, we're, we're still for, all for the diversity. That's the most important thing. In fact, the best sequence is a movie combines these ambitions, so-called inclusion, with thornier American musical traditions. Uh, here we go. This is where he complains about the, the the theft of black music. The song that breaks this news to Ariel and Sebastian is a rap called The Scuttlebutt with, uh, with lyrics by Lin-Manuel Miranda. That's the guy from uh, Hamilton, uh, the, the rap race swapped uh, Hamilton, if you're not familiar. Um, and his problem here is uh, there's an Asian-American performer whose shtick is kind of black impersonation. So sorry, Asian bro, uh, you 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 might be more diverse than previous cast, but you're not diverse enough, and you certainly don't get to rap or have any kind of affectation that could be seen as black impersonation. So uh, sorry, Asian guy, uh, you're you're you might be a little too white for this. We're not sure, uh, but you will be canceled. Uh, so sorry about that. Uh, rhythm rapping with a, a black man pretending to be a Caribbean crab. Uh, uh, <laughs> again. This is the absurdity of this whole thing, right? Like, uh, you kind of look at the absurdity of this whole thing. Uh, he spends the whole time, <laughs> spends the whole time making fun of people for noticing that they intentionally swapped out the race of the main character, saying the people who do this are racist. They're, you know, that she's heroic for being swapped in here like this, that this is a necessary racial redress of grievances. And what's the first thing or what's the last thing he does right before the end of this? He complains about the ethnicities of people involved in a rap. So he complains that the, the people rapping here aren't black enough. The, the people playing a, a crab and a seagull are not of the appropriate races to the accents that they have. That's his complaint here. So he spends the whole time mocking people who notice this replacement for calling them trolls, for praising the, the film, for being brave, for doing this. And then what does he do? He complains about it doing this with any other race. If any other race is impersonated, if any other race is swapped out, that's a problem. That's a violation. That's cringy. But he spends the whole time praising when they do it with the main character who is white in the original, with red hair. So again, it's very clear what the agenda here is. He has got no problem with making sure that these people are of the original uh, ethnicity that he thinks is supposed to be ascribed to them, even if they're playing a crab or a seagull. He pushes for that. It's only people who notice the thing that the movie specifically set out to swap so that there would be a controversy. Those are the bad people. Those are the people who are a problem, right? Uh, 
watching it, you realize why the rest of the movie plays it so safe because uh, the fun is in some is is in some risky business because fun is some risky business. This is a witty com- uh, this is a witty, complex, exuberant, deeply American number that is also movies one moment of unbridled, unbashed delight. But you're also complaining about it, right? And then he says, "But you'll, they'll end up uh, they'll end up apologizing it for 34 years." So is this a good thing? Is this a bad thing? He doesn't know, right? It's it's it it, it it's entirely dependent, I guess, on uh, on the races being swapped out. That said, all right, guys. So uh, we're gonna go ahead and grab the uh, questions of the people here in just a minute. But I hope that uh, you know, just kind of breaking that down. Like I said, he only mentioned the kink there at that one point, and then you know, a little later on uh, when he's talking about salacious nature of kind of other entertainment. Uh, but uh, but I think it was more included because it kind of automatically fell into this pattern of intersectionality, this constellation of woke causes. And so even though it wasn't the primary thing in there, it got incorporated into this grab bag of things that for him tended to focus around racial identity and the importance of him that these things get made, that these uh, these racial redresses exist. Uh, that the that no nine-year-old ever sees the original Little Mermaid and that this is kind of what is set going forward, uh, that all these movies have been updated with the right uh, diversity quotient and the right woke uh, palatability. And of course, if they aren't sufficiently woke, if they aren't radically racial as he desires uh, in his piece, uh, then then he has a problem with them. Uh, but but they're still good because at least they tried to kind of replace what was what was once there. All right, guys, so let's go to your Super Chats real quick. We've got a few of them here. Uh, Formius, uh, Formus Soul, I hope I said that correctly. My bad if I didn't, for $5. I wonder if this is a form of anchoring, as you've talked about, by inserting the egregious kink commentary they distract from the blackwashing. Um, that's, a, that's a good point. Um, I could see that in, uh, in why that would get done, why that would be a tactic. I really do think in this case, it's probably more of the writer thinking that this was something that was automatically included. Like I said, I think it would be something that occurs to him as just, of course, if you're going to be putting in all of this diversity, then of course you also include like gender ideology. Of course, you also force kink into the movie. Like, of course you do all that stuff. Cause as he noted, it's for nine-year-olds, right? And why wouldn't he put that in a movie for nine-year-olds? Um, so I, I think uh, I could see that as a tactic. I see what you're saying. Um, a lot of times I think that I would say that's a good, um, that's a good spot there, but I do think in this particular case, it is more of a, uh, sequence of just him putting this constellation of things together that he thinks, uh, kind of all falls under this progressive morality, this wokeness. Uh, and he doesn't really see how kink would be indistinguishable from, the racial replacement of characters in order to meet some kind of diversity quotient, right? I think he kind of uh, binds those two things together uh, pretty naturally for him. Um, let's see, Cooper Weirdo for $5. Uh, that's what Hans Christian Anderson forgot, bondage and high impact violence. <laughs> yeah, right. If only they, the, those more wholesome uh, fairy tales had uh, had worked in uh, the, those modern standards uh, for children. Uh, they they really, it's very clear what the left wants children to, to, yeah, they, they have to get that stuff involved. Yeah, that's that's funny. That's a good, yeah, good call out there. Um, Queen's White Man uh, plays. Uh, yeah, 
Yeah. No, it's, it's you know interesting that they didn't swap that out, didn't they? I think they did that recently with um like a Cinderella remake that they did. They did like a live action Cinderella remake, and they brought in a black comedian as the fairy godmother, right? So they so they it's like a trans, uh, so it's not only is it transracial, it's like uh you know a trans trans uh like fairy godmother uh was the newest thing. So again, no one should be surprised. This is what Disney movies. Are going to be going forward uh you you just shouldn't be surprised uh with this at all um <laughs> adam e for five dollars instead of king trident uh triton riding in a seahorse drawn chariot uh they should swap it out with a toyota corolla and see if anyone minds the shameless uh car shill yeah right so again that's a good point going back to to what i was saying about uh bringing in those different elements uh, fantasy, you know, you know, people say, oh, well, why would you notice this? It's already suspension of belief. It's, it's already ridiculous. You're already under the sea uh, with, with, uh, you know, mermaids swimming around and, and fantastic, uh, you know, stuff like this. Why would you notice this? Well, you would notice if a Toyota Corolla was pulling the, the chariot, right? That would be egregious, right? And, and it's no less ridiculous. It, it's still fantasy. It's still something that would never happen. But the fantasy world still has a continuity to it. It still has, you know, why do seahorses pull this chariot? Well, because seahorses exist under the sea. And in real life, in real human life, chariots are pulled by horses. Obviously, seahorses are too small for this. This isn't a real thing. It's still very fantasy-esque. But there's, a, there's this internal logic to it that connects it to our world, but still makes it its own thing, right? And this is why people enjoy fantasy. So yeah, if you're if you're if you're just throwing all the rules out the window, oh okay, we just insert things in and you shouldn't notice it because it's a fantasy thing. Well, yeah, why not just drop a Toyota Corolla in the middle of it? That makes perfect sense. Uh what why not just do that? That has the same level of kind of narrative continuity as anything else in there. All right, guys. So we're gonna go ahead and wrap this up real quick. I want to thank everyone for coming by. Really appreciate everybody uh and your questions here. And uh, before we go, just want to remind you that if it's your first time on the channel, that you should go ahead and subscribe. And of course, if you want to go ahead and get these broadcasts as podcasts, you can go ahead and go to your favorite podcast platform and subscribe to the Lauren McIntyre show. If you do that, please make sure that you go ahead and leave a rating or a review. I know it just takes a minute. It's, it's a little inconvenient, but it really helps out the show. You can just click those stars on your on your iPhone uh, or whatever. And that makes a big difference. I really appreciate that, guys. Thanks, everybody, for coming by. And as always, I will talk to you next time.